This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. This conference offers theological, scientific, and biblical reasons to show really that the Bible can stand up to the scientific critiques that have been brought against it for the past 200 years. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by James Dolezal. And today we are also joined on the phone by Gabe Fleur. And Gabe is the Minister of Discipleship at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. In addition to that, Gabe is hosting a conference, which is coming up very shortly. We want to tell you about this conference and talk to Gabe about it. The title of the conference is Insuppressible, Glory, Gospel, and the Design of Life. Gabe, thanks for joining us from South Carolina. Thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. So I just want to ask, first of all, about the conference. These are big topics, glory, gospel, and the design of life. I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit for us. Well, I think as you both know, and probably a a large portion of the listeners know, the science-faith debate shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. And this conference is designed really to help participants and those who listen in to get a better grasp on the issues at play today and really bring out the evidence both from the scriptures and science for the fact that life shows inescapable evidence of design. Gabe, who's joining you at the conference, and what topics are your fellow speakers going to be addressing? I'll be joined by Dr. Derek Thomas, who's the senior minister of our church here in Columbia, South Carolina, and then Dr. Douglas Axe, who is a, uh, I believe, molecular biologist. I may be getting that wrong, but uh, he is the author of Undeniable, Why Science Confirms Our Intuition That Life Is Designed. He is a a top-tier scientist, and he'll be addressing the issues from a scientific side, while Derek and I will be doing scriptural exegesis in our talks on everything from why science needs the Bible to the glory of God to how we suppress the truth to the evidence from science that life is designed. Gabe, what's at stake here in terms of our understanding of the whole scriptures and our understanding of ourselves if we get these questions wrong? In other words, you're you're bringing someone in who's talking about intelligent design and the connection between creation and, and all these other topics of scripture. So what's at stake in our doctrine of creation? Everything in a word. If the first three chapters of the Bible are not true, the gospel isn't true. I think we can sum it up that quickly, uh, that succinctly, and uh, with that much at stake. If we don't believe that Adam was real, as Paul and Jesus did, then there's no reason for Jesus to have come and died on the cross for us. If we don't believe that the fall of man is real, then there's no reason for Jesus to have died on the cross. Moreover, we live in a time in which, if we could call it this, an existential darkness has swept over uh, the West. People don't think life is worth living. Uh, We're today dealing with the suicide of two well-known celebrities in the past 48 hours. And the meaninglessness of life is really something that a lot of people think about all the time. And our hearts break when we hear about things like suicide or depression or oppression. All kinds of social and political problems are bound up in how we view the world. So what we think about where we came from inescapably determines how we live in the present. 
And one of the aims of this conference is to show us that in a time when most people think that scientific knowledge, however you choose to define that, but you know, popularly defined that the sciences, biology, chemistry, physics, that those are the paradigm of rationality and, and have proved that the Bible isn't true and that the first three chapters of Genesis or the first 11 chapters of Genesis can't be taken seriously. This conference offers theological, scientific, and biblical reasons to dispute that claim and to show really that the Bible can stand up to the scientific critiques that have been brought against it for the past 200 years. Gabe, if someone were to ask you, even with respect to origin, but also with respect to our destiny as humans, in whose image we are made and to what end, if they were to say, well, why is life meaningful? I mean, isn't a meaningful life simply whether I'm having a full life now? Isn't this all that there is? What would you say makes life meaningful? This is sort of a preview for what you'll be developing at length at the conference. I think the thing that we can say that makes life meaningful, or the person that makes life meaningful, is the triune God. There are plenty of people who have had it all, who even today we read about, we really need another celebrity story about somebody who has what everybody else would consider the good life, who is just miserable. But then we have people who do say, you know, maybe in a secular way, I've got it all, and I feel great, and I don't think I need God. We can try to salve our consciences through art or entertainment or sports or whatever else, but sooner or later, all of us have to face the fact that a meaningful life is only as good as what comes after. Philosophers and theologians across the centuries have shown time and time again that if we believe there is nothing coming in the future, there is no ground for ultimate justice, ultimate morality, or ultimate meaning. In other words, if we say we can live a good life without God, we're simply deceiving ourselves and really just begging the question, logically speaking. So I think a good life, as as the scriptures would define it for us, is one that's lived under the lordship of Christ for the glory of God. And those are not just empty theological terms. They are real, they are true, and that can be demonstrated. So how are those themes fleshed out in Genesis 1 through 3? Those themes of purpose and meaning and the way in which God is supposed to be part of our lives. How do we see those things in the first chapters of Genesis? Well, I think if you look at the first chapters of Genesis in distinction from the myths of uh, cultures that were around the same time as Genesis would have been written, I think you see a tremendous difference in how creation happens. It's popular today to compare the Bible with the various myths of other cultures and, and try to point out how Genesis borrows from those myths. Um, I think that's a mistaken a way to read the scriptures because what is fundamentally unique about Genesis is one, the creator creates what he makes in an orderly and very purposeful fashion. There's no cosmic chaos out of which he brings this new creation. It is done by his word, at his direction. It's a very sober account in Genesis 1. There's no flights of fancy. It's just God said and God did and it was good. Number two, it's the only ancient account, if we could put it that way, in all the world's religions where male and female are accorded equal dignity as image bearers of this God, of this creator. And so right off the bat, you've got a firm footing for seeing both male and female as the image of God. And that, again, is powerful in our contemporary discourse. 
And number three, you see that life was meant to be lived to the glory of God. He put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. And uh, in the Hebrew, those are terms of worship. They're priestly terms that would be picked up later in the Old Testament by Moses. So what we see is a picture of a world that was designed for good, that man marred, and that God promised to redeem through the promised one of Genesis 3.15, who we now know is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have purpose, we have meaning, we have work, we have fulfillment, all of the things all of us want, but we find so elusive in the modern world. Taking up that theme of purpose and even commission given by God to Adam and Eve, several responsibilities, that there was an aboutness, a direction given to their Mm -hmm. life that was to end in a state of glory that would even transcend that first garden experience. How can you hold out hope for that transcendence now, this side of the fall? What would you say to someone who said, well, what you're describing in Genesis 1 and 2 sounds fantastic but obviously Genesis 3 nullifies all that. So how can it be possible that life is meaningful now? I think one response is to say that as we read the New Testament, we find these themes of Genesis picked up once again. I say in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is portrayed as this true son of God who uh, cleanses, as it were, the temple and begins what will ultimately become the new creation. His resurrection signifies that the world will be put at rights one day. So we have hope, as the Apostle Paul teaches us again and again, because of the resurrection of Christ. I think it's popular today sometimes to simply debate the factuality of the resurrection, and that's important. We need to establish that it did happen in space, time, and history. But that was a given for Paul. Far more significant for the apostle and far more significant for us is what the resurrection signified, which was the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that was lost in Genesis 3 and the restoration and the, if we could put it this way, made rightness of all things that will come as a result of Christ's resurrection. And therefore, again and again, the New Testament points us to the hope that we have that uses that wonderful language that that Paul uses in Romans, that hope will not disappoint us. And there's so much disappointment today, so many failed promises by science of life and health and prosperity, so much despair that what we need is a hope that is unshakable. And only the gospel provides that. And so Genesis 3 foreshadows what will be fulfilled in the New Testament. Gabe, I want to sort of return to where we started here at the end. You've been involved in pastoral ministry for a number of years. And it sounds to me, in the way that you're answering these things, as if these are questions and problems that you have seen actually played out in people's lives. Is is that the case? I mean, is that sort of the driving force in terms of your involvement in this, that these issues of the design of life and the purpose of life are actually related to the kinds of questions people are asking in the church? In other words, these are the things that pastors need to be thinking about as they're ministering to their people. That's a great question, Jonathan. And the, the the short answer is yes. I've done evangelism on everywhere from college campuses to street corners to homes to businesses. And without exception, the number one objection I hear is, well, we know science has proved the Bible is wrong. 
for most modern people today, the gospel is not worth taking seriously because of the supposed authority of science to pronounce on the truthfulness of the scriptures. And yet, every time I've done a talk on philosophy and science or science and religion, with that exception, people are interested. They want to talk more. They want to talk about these things. I preached a sermon on John 1 back in December, and I just got an email from a college student saying, thank you so much for talking about physics in that sermon. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. And, and so, yes, I think that pastors need to be aware that most of the people sitting in their pews will have friends or family or neighbors or coworkers who are going to have the objections, the kind of objections that we're going to address. Gabe, thanks so much for your time today. We really would encourage our listeners, particularly those who are in the Pensacola, Florida area, to seek out this conference. And we really appreciate your time sort of outlining the issues here today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been my privilege and pleasure. The conference that Gabe was speaking about, again, is called Insuppressible Glory, Gospel, and the Design of Life. It is the Pensacola Theological Institute for 2018, and the dates for this conference are July 27th through the 29th of this year. The conference is in Pensacola, Florida at McElwain Presbyterian Church, which is in Pensacola, and for our listeners, we'd like to offer you the opportunity to get a free conference sign-up. This conference is done in partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and so we're able to give a free conference sign-up to someone who enters to win this. And we hope that many of you will sign up for the conference. And if you'd like the opportunity to possibly win a free conference sign-up, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be an opportunity for you to enter there. For the rest of you... You can sign up at AllianceNet.org. If you click on the events drop-down menu, you'll see this insuppressible glory gospel and the design of life, Pensacola Theological Institute 2018. The speakers, again, are Douglas Axe, Gabe Fleur, who was our guest today, and Derek Thomas. Thanks, as always, for listening to Theology on the Go. If there are other people whom you think might benefit from this podcast, please pass it along to them. And if you're able to donate, you can do that on AllianceNet.org or on PlaceForTruth.org. And once again, thanks for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.